the word will enter your heart to give you light, direction, to heal you in every area. And it will make you more and more, more than ever before, like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What I want to begin to teach about today is what I have titled, interesting title, This is what salvation is. That's the title. This is what salvation is, is what we are going to be talking about. And to kick that off, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I trust that God will give all of us understanding in the name of Jesus Christ. I trust that God will give everyone listening to this, especially if you're a minister of the gospel, that God will give you understanding and full, what the Bible calls epignosis, full understanding, so that you'll be able to pass this across to other people. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we are going to begin from. And I'm going to read from verse 1. I like the way Paul started that. And you must understand that this Bible is full of, or is a compilation of the revelations of God he gave to the fathers. That is, you see the apostles and prophets. God spoke to them so that we can hear his words through their own words. That is what he says to one, he's saying to all. So they recorded these things for us to understand. So that's why you have a Bible in your hands. Let me just explain these things to us again. The Bible is a compilation of different books. Let's just use the, the Christian compilation. There are 66 books. The way the Hebrews count them are slightly different, or is slightly different. The Hebrew look at first and uh, second Samuel as one book. Ezra and Nehemiah, one book, and stuff like that. So we have 66 books divided into two major parts. What people frequently call the Old Testament, that is from Genesis to Malachi, and that is what the Hebrew man will call the law, the prophets, and the writings. And we know those things are genuine because we are Christians. Let me just emphasize that. We are Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't describe whether you are good, primarily, or bad. That is not what it describes. What that means is that it is what he validates that we validate, that, that we accept. So he validated all the writings of Moses and the prophets. So he will show things concerning himself. You can, you can go and read that from Luke chapter 24, from, from the law, the prophets, and the writings. So we believe in the law, the prophets, and the writings. And then that's what, that's what we call the Old Testament, generally speaking. But I prefer to use the word the law and the prophets. Okay? Now, so that begins from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Then we have Matthew, Mark, that's the Gospels, the Acts. That one generally, what we call the New Testament, is in a few groups. One, the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then and John. Then Acts. Then you have the Epistles, which includes the writings of Paul, James, Peter, and John. You understand? And then you now have Revelation that was given to John. So that's the group. All of these together, 66 books we call our Bible. Now, these are the revelations of God to the fathers. From them, we discover what God is saying. From them, we discover the mind of God for each of our lives, the general principles. We learn the promises of God from there. We learn the precepts of God because God made preparation for what he would do with our lives. He made preparation concerning what he's going to do for us. 
all the promise, all the uh, provisions of God are hidden in his promises. So these books contain the promises of God. They also contain the precepts. That is how we are supposed to live our lives. They are written clearly inside there. Sometimes they are not so clear. We have to dig in to see those things so that we can understand them. The desire of our heart must be to understand the precepts of God that he has revealed to the fathers. And those books are compiled and we make them our standards. Everything we do as Christians must be compared to them. Anywhere they shift away, then we are wrong. We try to navigate ourselves back to that standard. Life may change, but those standards don't change. For example, transportation modes have changed over the years. For example, now we have cars, we have airplanes, we have um, powered ships that can cross the Atlantic in just a few weeks. They didn't have that, but they also traveled. They also moved. The principles of God concerning moving from one place to the other remain the same. The mode of transportation may change. So we adapt our lives to the things written by these fathers. Now, all of them wrote around the person of the Lord Jesus. That's a matter of fact. Moses was a type of Jesus, and he brought the message of Jesus to the people. All the prophets okay, brought the message or messages concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to the people. And concerning the nation of Israel, Paul wrote that to them was committed the oracles of God. So all those prophets of Israel, they wrote the mind of Christ down for us, and we go inside there to go and learn. But this is the point I'm trying to make. What we are learning are the things of Christ. If Jesus did not validate Moses, I wouldn't believe in Moses. I hope you're getting my point. Jesus is not one of our prophets. Jesus is the Son of God. You go and read one thing, if we read Hebrews chapter 1, he said, in the former times, God spoke in diverse way through the fathers. In these latter days, he has spoken in his son. That is, everything is around Jesus Christ. So when, he, when you see people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the compilation was about the life of Jesus and the words that he spoke. Then the book of Acts, were, in it we see the record of the first acts of the church, the people of Christ. And then the things that he taught to them, both when he was alive physically on the earth and after resurrection, those were the things that Paul wrote down. Paul saw him after resurrection. Those are the things that Peter wrote down. Those are the things that James wrote. These are the things that John wrote. And then he appeared to John again as an old man and gave him the revelations. That is the one we have in the book of Revelation. All these things put together is what we call our Bible. It's our scriptures. Contains relevant information concerning our future. Contains authentic and genuine information concerning past, the past times, even before human beings existed on this earth. We find these things inside. I'm describing all of this to let you know that it's all centered around Jesus Christ. We are Christians. We are learning the ways of Christ. Listen to this. We are not learning how to succeed. We are not learning how to live life so that we'll be happy. We are learning the ways of Christ. I remember when I was a, um, when I was doing my NYSC that time, you know, National Youth Service Call, and one of my fellow coppers then, he said something about us Christians, that the problem he has with us Christians is that the way we reason, he doesn't like the way we reason, that if the Bible says we should not, that day was cold, it was cold, it was really cold, and that if the Bible says that we shouldn't wear sweater in this kind of weather, we will not wear the sweater. And I said, he thought he was insulting me, he didn't know he was commending me. I was so happy at this, we are known for being crazy. I hope you're getting my point. I said to him clearly, I said, if the Bible says don't wear a sweater, I would rather die than wear it. Now, it's not because we are sadists or we don't reason. It is because we know, you understand, that the person who said don't wear a sweater 
knows where we are going. He knows what he's planning. Because what appears reasonable to you may actually not be true. Let me give you an example. Once, you know, <laughs> this was so many years ago. I was my cousins, little girls. So they wanted to do, they wanted to prepare something. I think it's a prawn crackers or something. I had never really seen it before that time. So I, now think about it. They want to make these prawn crackers. So they wanted to go and fry it. Now listen, how do you fry something that is hard? I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's hard. It's really hard. I don't mean it's tough. I mean it's hard. It's like um, a piece of stick, you know, something that hard. It's also fried to eat. So what is the first thing that comes to your mind? You should do what? Boil it. So the little girl told that she wanted to go and fry it. I said, no, 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 no. She that you boil such a thing. She said, no, you fry it. So she showed me the pack. I read on the pack that you fry it. So I reasoned that it must have been done by Chinese people. <laughs> that their English is not fantastic. Do you get my point? I talk, imagine you want to eat something that's hard. I'm looking for something that everybody can. I, I don't know. All of us, you know, prawn crackers. Unless you came from where. I didn't know it before then. So sometimes people are saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's prawn crackers. <laughs> but that was my first experience with it. So the little girl looked at uncle. Uncle knows what he's saying. So they put a bit of water on the fire. Put it in the inside. And it came out really horrible. It came, for that was the end of it. And then somebody else now came, or I became wise, and said, let us do what they said. So we put a bit of oil on the fire and tossed it in, and everything popped up into, like, large popcorns, you know, stuff like that. And now you could eat. I said, my God. The person who said, fry the prong crackers, knew what he manufactured. But this black guy, from <laughs> who would rather follow his own understanding? He would rather lean on his own understanding. In all these ways, he will not acknowledge the instructions of the manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. Then he ruins the child's meal. That is why we Christians behave the way we do. If God says, a man cannot be attracted to a man, you know, sexually, that it is an abomination. It's not, he knows you feel like you should fry, you should boil the prawn carcass. But he said you did not make it. I made it. No matter how you feel, it is an abomination. We are not saying that you're not feeling like that. That's what we don't understand. They think you are denying the feelings of people. If your sexual attraction as a woman is towards another woman, we are saying something is wrong. We are not saying, listen to me. If I have, my head is banging, banging, you understand my point? And I tell you my head is banging. You won't say that's how you feel. You should just enjoy it. You understand it's a sign of what? An abnormality. So you want to check, is it that I'm stressed or have migraine? or have um, a fever, or I have a brain tumor. You want to investigate and cure me. You will not say, since I've been having this headache since I was a child, it has to be left to me like that, because that's just the way I am. Everything in life has boundaries. The word of God records the boundaries for us. We never follow how we feel. We never do. We don't follow how we feel. Our feelings are secondary to the instructions of the manufacturer. That's why I told the story about prawn crackers. Our feelings are secondary. Our feelings are secondary. I still remember very well that day I held the prawn cracker in my hand. It was hard and stiff. I didn't understand why you would fry something like that. But I didn't make it. The manufacturer understood. And guess what? He was right. And I was wrong. When I followed his instructions, all of us enjoyed the benefit of what he produced. We did not make ourselves. Somebody made us. And one day, he took on flesh 
and came to his own. I hope you're getting my point. In that process, we'll talk about that in this, in this series, he did a lot of things to bring us into the position where he wants us to be. We hurt ourselves if we decide, you know, to push aside his instruction and follow our own thoughts. That is the meaning, for those who don't understand it yet, that is the meaning of eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, that thing is saying that I will follow what I think. I will follow how I feel. Do you follow my point? Listen, Charles Finney says something sometime, I mean, in his days. He said, feelings follow thought. That is, you can recondition yourself to feel differently about things. You can. You can. I've been married for, well, I like to brag about it, it's almost 21 years now. It's, okay, just over 20 anyway. I'm just waiting for you to cross six months so I can start saying almost 21 years. All right? And listen, the feeling of love I have for my wife, how do I say it? It's a decision that was made and the feeling was cultivated. I wrote it in my book, um, is it Fundamentals of Christian Marriage. I explained it there. There was a time I remember very well. I felt it cool down. I felt it. That is, my wife was just like another friend. Are you getting my point? But I remember that the word, now listen, the instruction of God, not my feeling, the instruction of God said, be exhilarated with her love at all times. So whether I like it or not, that word had to be obeyed. When I didn't feel like it myself, I took it to prayer. I said, God, this was what you said. I said it to him, Lord, you said this. So fulfill this word in my life. Like David would say, quicken me according to your word. A woman heard me say it on TV. That this was many years ago. That I love my wife more now than I did when we first married. She saw me at work a few days later. She said, what? I've never heard that before. Some will look and say, you are a good man. Once I was talking to students. You know, something led to it. Maybe they saw my phone or something. So saw my wife's picture here and there and stuff. You know, we just started talking about it. So I was like, my children had better warn themselves that if somebody kidnapped my wife, one person, I kidnapped all the children, I will quickly, I will exchange them that carry all the children, give my wife back. They, 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 they said, what? You know, we're joking, generally speaking, but I meant what I said, that, what are you talking about? So we now became serious. I said, I will joke with my wife because of my children. I said, are you people normal? I said, let me tell you about this children. One day, Lord, they are going to come to you and say, Daddy, I met one girl I want to marry. She will marry, you marry and go away. The girl will come one day and say, Uchina wants to see you. And then Uchina will come and see me with his father, <laughs> his mother. The next thing, I will sign off her name. Then one day to not remain, you know, you know, my wife was telling me today that this lockdown has locked her father and her mother alone in the house for the last few months. He said, very good for them. She was telling because he was saying that, thank God, none of you traveled before this lockdown. That is as if they just married. All the children are scattered in different places. So I told the people that day, I said, please, oh, that is why I will not joke with my wife. In fact, my, a friend of mine lives in the United States, very good friend. He said, he's a medical doctor. He said, one of his senior colleagues at work, a white man, told him that, look, Oh boy, you know what you need? The guy said, what? That guy worked hard. He works morning, afternoon, and night. A specialist. So he told him one day, he said, you know what you need? Make sure you have a good wife. So he was like, yes, I have a good wife. What's the gist about it? He said, because you see, after all this work you have been doing, you win any money, you buy a house, you do this, you do this. 
Say one day you are going to retire, and the only person you'll be seeing morning, afternoon, and night is that wife. Better make sure she's a good wife. And I want to find her, take good care of her, make sure she does not go away. It was an old man who was telling this young doctor, say, I hope you found a good wife because all this your work is nonsense. So if you don't, <laughs> now what myself of these things? One of the other I was talking with my students. One of them now looked and said, a young woman. She looked at me. He said, sir, you're a good man. That's why I, told you, that's why I said the, told the whole story. He said, sir, you're a good man. I'm like, my mind, you don't know me. Go and ask my wife. I'm not a good man. I'm a godly man. There's a difference between good and godly. As a woman, she appreciated that kind of thought. But what she did not understand, that it's not natural to me. I read it in my manual. And my manual made it clear this height will be. He that made them made them male and female. For this cause shall a man be, we shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two of them shall become one flesh. I said to the young woman that day, no, I'm not good though. How else should he be? Oh, you think the woman was married to produce children for me? And then they are the product, they are the fruit of the investment. And once I've collected my dividends, you can now liquidate the company. I said no. What I understand from scriptures is what I'm telling you. And I wasn't trying to preach that. They were just gisting. I just said, Lord, with myself, just relax in class and I'll be talking. But I remember that day, the young woman looked at me and said, you're a good man. And I said to her, no, I'm not a good man. This is the word of God. It's not about what, listen, I'm talking about Christianity. Christianity is not how I feel. It's not what to make me popular in the society. Many times Christianity will make you unpopular. Following the word of God will make you look like you're crazy. We follow instructions. We follow what is written for us according to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody that preaches for him must speak according to his spirit. Everybody that speaks for him must learn the things he told the fathers. Decode those things. Make them practical in today's life. But they must be the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. Jesus is not for us just a prophet. He's not just for us a lawgiver. He's our life. He's our manufacturer. He has manuals that, listen, this was, this was how I made you. I did not make you like this. I made you this way. So you do yourself good if you learn what he says. Please bear this in mind. I just want us to understand it. I feel like just getting that one across to us again. Actually, what I have in mind in this series is to go to the fundamentals of Christianity again. For us to understand what Christianity is about. I do that once in a while. We'll teach and teach, then go back to the fundamentals. Let us know what we are doing. Let us know what Christianity is. Because what's happening these days, especially in a country like ours, Nigeria, one of these you find out that Christianity has become very popular. Do you get my point? Organized religion. So everybody, especially in southern Nigeria, you have to go to church. You have to go to church. So people go to church, and they'll, say, they'll think that makes them Christians. Like, like it's said, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than being parked in a garage makes you a car. It can become such a culture, we forget exactly what it is. Christianity is a life that we live because we have been sold to Christ Jesus. The life we live because we don't belong to ourselves anymore, but we belong to somebody who died and rose again on our behalf. It is not the way by which I get popular in life. That is like, if you don't go to church now, um, um, like, you know, someone was supposed to do some work for me the other time. He said, the man is a Christian. He told me the name of his church. I said, my friend, get away. Have you dealt with him before? Is he an honest person? Don't tell me the name of his church. Criminals go to church. 
And I tell me your experience with him. Do you believe he's an honest person? If you believe he is so, then let's do business. Don't give me the name of the church. Many times people go to church just to give themselves a right social standing. But that's not what Christianity is. We began to learn the word of God. In that process, it somehow degenerated to the point in which we started looking at the word of God as a way of making money, of doing business. Because pastors actually ended up teaching, I'm not saying it's wrong, but they end up teaching business principles. They teach, you know, some things about life. People now think you can go to church and learn how to do your business. Yes, you can, but that is not what Christianity is. I hope you're getting my point. So let's get it right. There are things that are primary. There are things that are secondary. That's just an introduction. All those things that we learn here and there, how to love our wives, how to love our husbands, how to eat properly, how to do business, they are secondary. The primary thing about Christianity is living the life of Christ. Now, I don't know why I said that, but I hope I made sense. All right? Let's now get back into the Bible reading. Now, I want to start, like I said, this series of teachings which I have titled, This is What Salvation Is. And we're going to start from this 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. Now listen to this. By which also you were saved. If, somebody say if. if. Say if. If you hold fast the word of God, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Salvation, tied to what? If you hold fast. If you don't hold fast to that word, you believed in vain. Please just mark that. I will not discuss it now. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. That is the time he was writing. But some have fallen asleep. That is, they've passed on, died, if you want to use um, common language. He said, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the saints, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church, the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that is working with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is one of the fundamental things about Christianity. You must believe in the resurrection of the dead. And believe me, life is more than what you see around. Life is more than what meets the eyes. You know, today I was still watching, my children and I watch it together, my wife, in the house, the video of a man who testified before a United Nations sitting. They were talking about the solution to the problems of the world, violence, you know, wars and all of that. And he requested for a time to speak, and they gave him some minutes. 
And he addressed all the powerful men of this earth. He said, you are looking at a miracle. One day, in an Australian airport, he fell down and died. He had a heart, massive heart attack. And then, they, of course, they called the medics for him, and they tried the best they could. And after some time, they declared him dead. And they put his body in an ambulance to take it to the hospital. Forty-five minutes later, he suddenly got up. If you find the story later on, I, I research the story. I even saw that pictures of him. The Lord Jesus physically, at least he saw, walked into the ambulance, talked to him, raised him up from the dead. This man gave the testimony before it wasn't like United Nations you know, assembly. And he said, you are looking for a solution? This is the solution, Jesus. He said, I give you Jesus Christ. That is the solution I have. He said, you are looking at me. I am a miracle. And describe the miracle. He said, my heart was shocked ten times. That is, uh, you know, trying to get the heart to start beating again. He said, in the United States, they do a maximum of three. They gave him ten. Tried to get the heart to beat. It beat three or four times and stopped. After a while, they declared him dead. Packed his body and put in the car. For the five minutes after he was declared dead, he got up. Blood had already congealed in his legs and his arms. The blood was already congealing because he was dead. The ambulance driver almost died. You understand? <laughs> The other medics in the car almost died when the man got up from the dead. Listen, when you read in your Bible that Lazarus was raised up from the dead, it's not a joke. Four days after he died, Jesus called him back to life. What you see physically is not all there is to life. The things that really matter, they are not physical. I hope you are getting my point. Listen, and these things are not even like religious, religion, faith. If you study science enough, you know these things are reasonable. You know, one of the things about study of science, if you study it deep, it will help you know that you don't know a lot of things. If you see anybody just talking, just know he does not know much, or he's lying. There's one very famous uh, atheist, is he a biology or something? I don't know whether it's Dawkins or, or Hitchkins, one of the two of them. All right, it's one of those two people. Anytime I watch them, I said, these guys are telling lies. If you really are a biologist, you should know you are lying. You will know you are lying. Life is so complicated, it cannot be all that we are seeing here. You know, once I wrote a small article on how reasonable is it that there is a heaven. You know, after I read science, science, not the Bible now, we may not know where heaven is, but according to science, it's extremely reasonable. If you, know, if you know how to read scientific things, go and Google up the multiverse theory. We believe in what? A universe. Universe means there's one, right? But there's what they call the multiverse theory. And it is a theory of physics, not religion, not Hinduism, not Buddhism. A principle of physics. In fact, when Neil Bohr and co. described what they call quantum theory, the quantum theory, Albert Einstein said it sounded so mystical. Right now, do you know what they are doing? They are developing quantum computers. Yet, when Albert Einstein, arguably the most intelligent man that ever lived, at least in the realm of science, when he heard this theory of um, quantum physics, he said it's spooky. Now, spooky to a, to a Yubo man is spiritual. He said this is a spooky action from a distance. Because it breaks down all the laws he's taught about the fact that the light is the fastest speed, the speed of light is the fastest obtainable in this existence. 
But they found things that controlled each other in an instant, faster than anything can travel. So he couldn't accept it. He called it spooky action from a distance. But make a long story short, it became an established law of physics. So much that now they are planning to release quantum computers. Now, not in quantum physics, now, neither do I even really understand it fully, but to let you know that what may appear spiritual, they are really real. We're going to read about this multiverse. Based on that, what they call the expansion after the Big Bang, faster than the speed of light, it says that things must have congealed into different pockets, and we're inside only one of them, which means that there may be a next one next to us that we don't know about and we'll never be able to communicate with because it will be running on different principles. I said, so science can conceive of another universe apart from this one. Then why, when I tell you about heaven, why do you think I'm unreasonable? When I tell you about hell, why do you think it's unreasonable? And I'm going to talk about hell in this series. Because hell exists. They say a loving God will not send anybody to hell. I always say to them, I agree. But one thing I agree more concerning is that a just God has to. He has to. If he does not, he's not just. What we should be debating is the nature of hell. Not that whether a loving God will send somebody there. He will. He has to because he has to be just. If he gives laws, you break them, there must be a just recompense. There has to be. So let's bear this in mind. When we talk spiritual things, they are real. Speaking according to the laws of physics, they are real. Observing the laws of science, they make a lot of sense. Because when I read that story about the multiverse system, I said, wait, they wrote, the scientists wrote, that if the multiverse actually exists, that is, if another universe exists apart from this one, we will not be able to communicate because it will be based on what? Different laws. Which makes sense. And if you understand the principle of dimensions, it means it can exist on top of this one where we are in. And we will not run into each other. So inside this room, angels can be passing 100,000 angels per second. And they will not disturb how you are sitting. Because they are in another realm. And when it pleases the Lord, the creator of the universe and the multiverse, I hope you get my point, to bring angels into existence, like Peter said to the house of Cornelius, he granted for him to be visible after Jesus rose up from the dead. He acquired a new kind of body that God had to grant visibility. So when he grants for him to be visible, we see him. And if he draws that grant, we don't see him. But it's just as real. The other day I saw one famous um, American physician, I think, uh, I, a physicist, I wanted to say, one black man, very well known, all right? One of those people that say they don't believe in God. And when I see the kind of things that he, I saw what he was describing about different dimensions, I said, this man, you've just proven to me by physics that the spiritual realm exists. He used the laws of physics to prove to me, a Christian, that the spiritual realm must exist. And he claims he does not believe in God. So what kind of joke is that? Please bear it in mind. That is why I mean, I'm not ashamed of the gospel like Paul will say. But my own not being ashamed of the gospel is not just um, Obuju not being ashamed. God has given me enough understanding about life for me to know that the gospel is reasonable. By studying science, I realize that spiritual things, they are scientifically real. So if I tell you I believe in God, I'm not unreasonable. I'm very reasonable. If we're to study the laws of mathematics, physics, biology, and everything, there has to be a God. You know, there are things we don't understand. We'll put a K for them, a constant. That is the only reason things make sense. If you say there's no God, you don't know DNA. If you have studied DNA, you have to ask yourself, who made this thing? Who made this thing? The other day I saw 
a, a, a scientific program that they're already researching into how to store computer programs in DNA form. And when I saw the amount of data that could go into one cell, we need to worship God again. Hey, if I keep on talking, some of you are going to get confused. They show that, listen, when you have, many of you know a, a combination, right? Okay. So if you have two digits, how many combinations can you have? Anyway, I think that should be four, right? Like if you have zero, one, you can have zero, zero, one, 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 zero, and then zero, one. Good. There are four nucleotides they used to make DNA. Just by arranging the four nucleotides, they can write, all, listen, with the chemical reactions, all the programs, all the data you have on your computer, they store them in cells. Some people think I'm speaking Greek, but if you can, I, I, the way Israel is looking at me, that is Junior Israel. I know he's following me very well. <laughs> yeah, it's already been done. You can go and research into it. When I saw it, I said, God. Yet, you want to tell me the DNA we have came out of nothing. No. Somebody far more advanced than you and me put it there. You know, when I saw that thing, I, I, because I know a little bit about computers, just a little bit, not much, okay, about computer programming and stuff like that, computer science, but I know a lot about biology of cells. When I saw the way people combined it, and really, I instantly saw that this thing was possible. Honestly, I began to appreciate God even more. What we probably will achieve in the next 20, 50 years, he did it, I don't know how long ago. What have I said so far? Heaven is real. Spiritual things are real. Believing in God is scientifically reasonable. It's ve- Look, spiritual, the spiritual realm is not even possible. It has to be there. Physics has discovered it. They just don't know how to control it. They know it's there. They will not use the word spiritual because it will be validating what we have been saying for a long time. They will call it dimensions. As a young man does this, I heard about the principle of, let me say my physics. I've those of you who don't like physics. Where were you when they were teaching physics in school? You ran away. Night has caught you in Bible study. <laughs> you going to? You have to learn it one way or the other. The day I had the principle of supersymmetry, I worshipped God again. The day I had the principle, I don't know much about it. I was just watching the physicists analyze it. I said there has to be a God. Don't tell me there's no God. Just say you don't know how he is. You don't know how to find him. Later on, I'll talk about it. If you don't seek for him, it's because you are a reprobate. All God asks for is for people to just feel after him. He gives you, listen, we study science. Most of the particles science we talk about, a few years ago they gave a Nobel Prize to a man, Higgs, for having theoretically told them there has to be a Higgs boson. Now, don't ask what is Higgs boson. Did they... When I had, you know, I have a colleague. He's very good with advanced physics. Very, very good. So I told him that, please, this Higgs boson, explain it. So he sat me down. After five minutes of explanation, I was more confused. (laughs) (laughs) Because he told me about hadrons and this and that. I thought I knew small physics and mathematics. So after I said, okay, just forget I asked. All right, let's just go back to the way (laughs) we were before. My head was, he's very good, he's very, very good. He's very good. He knows it, in fact, he knows physics, he knows it a lot. He, he knows it very well. Now, what I'm bringing is that when they give the man his Nobel Prize, it was for a thought he had 
based on calculations that he had gone through. He said, he just, in fact, he said he sat in his car when the thought hit him. He bowed down this, in the car like that for a long time thinking. When he went and told his fellow uh, scientists, they looked at it like, what are you saying? That even he was embarrassed. But make a long story short, they have what they call, okay, a big scientific machine somewhere in Europe. But I'll give you the name, the Large Hadron Collider. <laughs> anyway, one day, the, the machine smashed an atom and they picked the signals that showed that the Higgs boson really exists. And they gave him a Nobel Prize. The point I'm making is that he told them there has to be a Higgs boson before he ever saw one. Now we're talking about black holes, black holes, black holes. The men who wrote about black holes, like this man that died the other day, Stephen Hawking, never saw it. They sat on paper and calculated. After doing calculations left, right, and center, they said there has to be what they call black holes. Then they launched their satellites to start looking, and one day they found them. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Listen, the law of life, God says, I have put enough mysteries out there with enough evidence to interest you. If you seek for it, you will find it. If men say there is no God, they are lying, it is simply because they refused to feel after him. Because there was no black hole. They felt after black holes, they found it. There was no Higgs boson. They felt after it, they found it. Almost every scientific discovery is usually things that they will, they will write on paper. They look at this, look at that. They say, there must be something. Some of these, there must be something. It may take them a hundred years, 20 years, 50 years or more to find the thing. But because they were feeling after it, they found it. Let me give an example. You've heard of Albert Einstein, right? All of us know Albert Einstein. After he wrote his theories of relativity, you know what he said? He said the universe must be expanding. Do you hear what I said? Please follow me. Albert Einstein said the universe must be expanding in size. The universe is like a very large ball. That it must be swelling more and more. So, now listen to what I want to say. All the telescopes they had on this earth observed and said it is not expanding. But listen to this. All the telescopes were where? On the earth. Now, there's a problem with telescopes on the earth. They see with light. All the telescopes they had before were light telescopes. They see with light. Now they have X-ray telescopes, the different kind of telescopes, okay? The ones that use radiation and all of that. But it was just light. To see something from the star, you must pass through our sky. Do you understand my point? It must pass through our dust. So they tend to put telescopes on high mountains in areas where there's no dust and make sure there's no cloud. You try your best to see clearly. But even then, all the air around will still affect what can get you because the lights are very faint. They are very faint lights. Now think about light that's been traveling for one billion years. By the time it gets to it, it's very faint. So Albert Einstein, when they told him, say, listen to this so carefully. By studying mathematics and physics, he said the universe must be expanding. Then they showed him by observation that it is not expanding. So listen to what I want to say. Talk about feeling after something. He said if it is not expanding, then something must explain it. Because every principle, every law of life we know, he shows it must be expanding. 
But he says, sir, we have observed it. It's not expanding. So he rewrote his calculations and inserted one thing. He called, pardon my big English, not me. He's the one that wrote it, all right? He called it the cosmological constant. What was it? An explanation for why the universe is not expanding. Because otherwise his calculations made no sense. So I had to sneak that K in to balance everything out. You see where I'm going? Then one day, science developed to a level. They launched a telescope. I guess what happened? They found out by observing that the universe is what? Expanding. And Albert Einstein removed that K and said it is the worst mistake of my scientific life. What am I going to say? He knew the universe was expanding without seeing it. Why? By observing life. And God has given us enough things to see on this earth for us to know he's there. So if anybody says there is no God, listen to me today, the person is lying. The best you can do or the worst you can do is to say, I don't know whether where he is or what he is like. Is there one God or one million gods? Does he come to the earth or he has never come to the earth? Did he make the earth and travel or something? Or did they make the earth and travel? I don't know. I have no idea of what God is like. But to open your mouth and say what we have came out of nothing, arrived by chance, like my little boy will say, when I asked him, what is the Big Bang? He said, nothing, nowhere, at no time, for no reason. Boom. Don't worry, my little boy has some wit about him. That's how he saw I told him about the Big Bang. That was his summary. He said, nothing, no time, nowhere, no reason. Boom. And then it became everything. If you believe that, then you should believe that you don't exist. You should believe that you got here. You, get my point? you are not even here. Because anything should make sense to you. With everything you know on this earth, what nothing have you ever seen become anything? Yet your brain is able to conceive that every existence we have right now came out of nothing. You are being deliberately deceptive. The best you can say is, I don't know. You can say, I don't know whether Buddhism is true. I don't know whether Hinduism is true. I don't know whether Christianity is true. I don't know whether Islam is true. I don't know which one is true. Or I don't even know whether any one of them is true. But I cannot accept that everything came out of nothing. Because it makes no sense. I can only say, I don't know where it came from. Many years ago, United States, one of their states, forgotten which one now, they went to court because some Christians wanted creationism inserted into the curriculum of the school. Now, by the way, atheism is more unreasonable than creationism, than Christianity. If you say there's creation, it makes more scientific sense. We can just say we don't know who created, but there has to be a creator. That's why I told the story all this while, that you see scientists discovering things they don't know, but knowing there has to be there. It has to be there. So they said, let us put creationism into school curricula. And one man, his name is difficult to pronounce, so I won't bother. He's from Sri Lanka. They have very complicated names. He was a Cambridge professor of physics and mathematics. He was asked to come and testify. Listen to this. A man who does not believe in God is a Buddhist. They don't believe in the personal God. The Christians invited him to come and be one of their witnesses just to show that creationism is scientifically reasonable. 
I can, you can Google up the story. A time will not allow me now because I have it somewhere on one of my devices. It's witness in court. It's testimony. And the man says something clearly. He said the most rudimentary of life we understand is the bacteria. He showed a small enzyme in the bacterium. Now listen to this. I won't give you the details. He said the chances of that occurring by accident is like telling me that, let's use Nigeria. I know go here. Okay, let's use Nigeria because of everybody else. The National Stadium, Lagos, we see so many thousands of people. Let's just assume 20,000 people. He said, imagine people went to National Stadium in Lagos to go and watch a match. Then you come and take their names and you find them that they are sitting in perfect alphabetical order of their names by chance. He said, that is how likely it is that 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 genetic sequence in the bacteria happened by itself. He says, by telling me people came to National Stadium to watch a match. They just walked, everybody sit where you like, sit where you like, no order. They sat down, and all their, the sitting arrangement was accidentally, by, according to their alphabetical order of their names, and there was no arrangement. He said, and it happened 10 consecutive games. He was saying the lawyer, he said, you don't understand probability. He said, that is the probability, probability you are telling me to accept. That people are playing games. They sat in that perfect order of their names. And it happens, happened in 10 consecutive games. And you want me to believe nobody arranged it. See, how does that make sense? You all know, if you enter, enter the, uh, um, our stadium here, Namdi Azikiwe Stadium in Enugu here, and you find 20 people sitting by perfect Alphabetical order. You will know they bought their tickets from a particular computer that automatically arranges the names and assigns seats to each person. Now you're talking about a stadium of over 20,000 people and in 10 consecutive games, the man said even that is more probable than that combination. And he said something. Because there were no enzymes, for those of you who know biology, because there were no enzymes, he said the amount of energy required to force them to join did not exist in the universe. What was he saying? That scientifically, that life, life on the earth must have been arranged from somewhere. He did not tell them where. That, earth could not, that the laws of this earth will not allow it to originate. Listen to me. Let me get back. Listen, please, in case you are listening to this and I've really frustrated you with all the <laughs> scientific analysis, please don't be angry with me. There are those who need to hear this. So just allow them, all right? But this is what I'm saying. Now all of us can get to this level. This is what I'm saying. Now listen to this. God says, I have put enough things out there for you to feel after me. And I was reading my Bible overnight, and I realized that what God does is hunt for those who are seeking, who are feeling after him. That, did you ever ask yourself why he called an Abraham? No history. Why does he call people? I'll tell you, it's simple. They feel after him. They feel after him. Listen, sometimes I sit down and say, Banky, why do you believe? Yeah, I don't know about you. I do that once in a while. Why do you believe? I won't go, go into detail. Of course, let me just say something simply. I believe because God poured into me the spirit of faith. That's the fact. It's not, you can't believe with your own sense. God has to pour into you the spirit of faith. I believe because 
After I reasoned about it, now, I believe because he poured into me the spirit of faith, he sent the gospel to me, he made me believe. I believe the testimony of those who have experienced God. And that was what Jesus said to Thomas, that this is how this gospel will move. The gospel will move by the people believing the testimony of those that saw. The anger he had with Thomas was not that he did not believe without sin. Please, you must understand something. Because Peter too saw before he believed. Did you not hear that he, he, James, you know, there are two James, you read, was it James or Jameses? <laughs> there are two Jameses in the Bible, all right, that New Testament. There was one that was with Peter, that one was killed rapidly. The one that wrote the Bible, the book of James, was, his, was the brother of the Lord. Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection for that one to believe. When he was on earth, they didn't follow him. They were the ones going to say, come out from the ministry. You have gone mad. He became an elder in Jerusalem because Jesus appeared to him like he appeared to Paul. Peter believed after he saw. James believed after he saw. John believed he saw. But God took Thomas out of there deliberately to create a principle for us. And what's that principle? That I'm going to have the majority of my people see they will have them testify to those who were not present. And I demand of those who were not present to accept the spirit of faith that I will point to them and believe. So he said, blessed are those who will believe without sin. It was deliberate. He said, I'm not going to be showing up to everybody. He showed up to enough people. You saw already just now. First, Peter. Then, the other, the twelve. Then, James. Last of all, then a day to 500 people at the same time. And as Peter, Paul was not in all of this. Then one day, he showed up to Paul. And I said, all of you. And if you go and see later on, you see it. Peter wrote to, uh, to, said to Cornelius in that chapter 10 of the book of Acts. He said that he selected to appear to certain people. It was deliberate. Not to everyone. They gave those ones a commission. We find out in the scriptures to go and tell everybody else what they saw. That is why Banky believes. I've read their testimonies. Credible. But most importantly, I asked myself, Bank, why do you believe? I said, this is a fundamental no, base for my faith. Everything I see didn't come out of nowhere. That one, I need to be a hater of God. Once a man and I were speaking, he was trying to prove, prove to me that there's no God. Trying to prove to me that there's no God. By the time he finished, a man of science, a man as well educated, after we finished talking and talking, I, you know, we spoke for at length. I said, this man, you're not making sense. Your logic is not time. Suddenly, I turned to him. I said, do you womanize? He said, what do I mean? I said, just answer me. Do you womanize? I said, because your logic is the logic of somebody who loves the deeds of darkness. And is afraid to come into light. Because we are streaming this since life, I can't tell you more. But I asked, the question I asked him, I said, do you womanize? I said, do you want it? Later on, one day I talked to one of his friends. That one said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Of course, in my presence, he denied it. But by the time an adult, like I always say, when an adult tells you two plus two is equal to five, don't argue with him. He knows it is four. He has hidden the fifth point, and he's not showing it to you. That's why his own two plus two ends up being five. So I, I, that day I argued with an adult, and his two plus two was five. His two plus two was six. His two plus two occasionally will become seven. There are times he came down to one and a half. Ah. 
Now, nah, nah, later I realized it was the Holy Spirit. I just turned to him. I said, oh boy, let's get it straight. Do you womanize? That only a man who's walking in sin needs to believe this lie to feel good with himself. And to such a person, if you are there, listen to me today. What I want to tell you is that there's no need hiding. Tell God you are sorry. He will forgive you. Just say you are sorry. The reason why you will die and go to hellfire. We some people don't like me saying they think I'm an old temple. Uh, you know, my name is Amos. Maybe I should go and add it to my name now. <laughs> Pastor Amos Obadiah Banki Olushino. Just call me anything you like. I like that Amos title. I will preach it. God judges people. He kills people. He behaves them. He kills man with his wife and his children. All of them bury them because they are disobedient. But he doesn't like to do it. That's the emphasis. He does not like to do it. He does not like to do it. Why he will send you to hellfire is because you believe they lie deliberately. Because you wanted to continue in your deeds of darkness. There will be, there's a better chance for your survival eternally. If you come and say, me, I like sinning. No. I know there's God, but if I, I agree now, I will have to stop sinning. That, listen, I know God. If you say that in his presence, he will pour the spirit of faith into you. You will get on your knees and tell him you are sorry. And he will forgive you and cleanse you. Those is when I was a young doctor, just left school. I had colleagues, young boys, of course. We were all young. They enjoyed misbehaving. Sexual immorality and all of that. Two of them will sit me down and tell him that there's no God. I used to tell one of them. I said, you. As in there, let's just call them um, Cain and Abel, all right? So, I will turn to Cain. I said, listen, Cain, if Abel tells me he does not believe in God, I've looked at his life. It looks like he doesn't believe in God. Maybe. I said, but you, you are lying. You believe in God. I said, but all these girls, you chase one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one at night, is the reason why you are denying God. You know that. I said, don't lie to me. They will sit down while they are drinking and smoking. I said, Blackie, go, go. I just looking at them. I said, come on, just forget this. You are just deceiving me. Then one day here and I were alone, we were gisting. They now told me a story. <laughs> these are, these, these are worry boys, you understand? You know? So they are pigeon English. This will impress me. <laughs> Although I've seen pigeon like that from university anyway. But they spoke it very well. So one day we're talking. He said, Blackie. He said, one day he dreamt that either his brother or somebody, that somebody in their family died. He didn't tell anybody. He just he dreamt and he woke up. And then in the course of that day, one of his friends came and said, please, I'm, I have a business in a white garment church. Can you just escort me? I don't want to go alone. Can you just walk with me down there? So he wasn't doing it. He said, okay, let me go with you. He said, listen to me. That when we go to the church, as soon as I put my foot on the threshold of the door, the prophet was sitting on the altar. He pointed at me and said, you, somebody is about to die in your family. He said, this dream I had not told anybody. He said, the man said, you need to fast for three days, otherwise somebody will die. The guy turned to me. That's why I talk about pigeon. He said, lucky, I'm not going to lie to you. I fast too. <laughs> For those who understand Nigerian English, let me tell you what it means. He said, my dear friend, let me not deceive you. I fasted as instructed. He said, I'm not going to lie to you. I fasted. That day I roared with laughter. I said, Cain. Remember, his name is not Cain. 
I said, King, I told you you believed in God. It's all this you're philandering that you're trying to hide. Because if you believe in God, you have to stop. So you need to lie to yourself that there's no God. So you can continue your rukuruku. That's good Nigerian English. They should put it in Cambridge. This thing, rukuruku. <laughs> the Lord is good. This one I'm making. So God has given up enough reasons to at least feel after him. I want you to bear that in mind. That's what he's asking for. For people to feel after him. When they feel after him by himself, he does the rest. Let me just read that particular reference so that the one I've been talking about, you see it. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul talked about that. We'll go back to where we're reading. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But let's just read that Acts chapter um, 17 briefly, just to show if God helps us, we'll come back there. Verse 27. Let's read from around verse 20. Just so we'll do Bible reading. Let's start from verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in every respect, in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, please bear that in mind. To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands. As though he needed anything, since he himself gave to all people life and breath and all things, and made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would, now notice this, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Can you see that? If perhaps they might grope for him and find him. That's what God just wanted them to do. Let them just grope for him. They might just find him. He has given them enough reasons. Later on, we'll read it for time's sake. Now, we won't go to that, we won't go to that now. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said the same thing. That the, the proof of God is there for all to see. Paul is saying to us here that what God wants is for them to grope for him and they might find him. Though is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are all his children. I'm, I'm going to stop reading here. But what I want to just point out to you is what he said in that verse 27. He said, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. That's New Living Translation. I'm talking about what salvation is. Let's continue reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you see, it is not true for anybody to tell you there is no God. God has given us enough evidence concerning himself. Yes, that evidence will not say anything about Jesus Christ, I can assure you. That evidence will not say anything about what the Godhead is like. That evidence just does one thing, which is what? Pull you towards searching for him. Just pull you towards searching for him. I have a personal conviction. I did a study some time ago, years ago now, not today now. I'm talking about 20 years ago, thereabout. 
concerning some religions, the religions of the earth. I just wanted to see what the things that they taught that may be different from my Christianity because I spent most of my days studying Christianity. I really didn't know what other religions said. So I took it upon myself to start studying. And I got to, when I studied the story of Buddha, I came to a conclusion which was confirmed to me recently. Now, I came to this conclusion 20 years ago, but it was confirmed to me recently. I said the Buddhism they teach today is not the same Buddhism the Buddha man started. It's not possible. Because I saw a man who felt after God. He was born a Hindu, believed in the Hindu caste system. But God just revealed something to him through his observation that this is not fair. He said this life is not fair the way it is. It doesn't make sense. He came from the you know, Hindu caste system has five classes. He came from the second class. So he was among the upper people. His parents were well-to-do. When they gave him explanations of what was going on, he said it didn't make sense. So he left to go and seek enlightenment. And I realized something. That if that man had lived... Now, this is my conviction. Don't preach it because you will get confused if you want to preach it to somebody else. I'm the one saying, (laughs) are you getting my point? I am convinced he found God. I am convinced those who followed him initially, he must have introduced them to God, but not the way of Israel. I am convinced... That if, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't write anything. He didn't write anything. He didn't write anything. I'm convinced that he, those who heard his words, he would have given them the prophecies concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus. I'm convinced. I am convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that if he was alive the time Jesus came, he would have known Jesus. I am convinced that if he was alive and Christianity came to his environment, he would have collected it, believed it, and given his life to Christ. We're talking about Southern Kaduna till today. The reason why they are predominantly, at least nominal Christians in that area, is because an Islamic cleric sat down and groped after God and sought for him. And an angel came, appeared to him. And this man, I mean, he's not somebody that we don't know. He's the grandfather of the former vice chancellor of um, um, Amadou Bile University, uh, one time, I wanted to say, his name was Ishaya Audu. Ishaya Audu was a diplomat also. I still read his name because of the current uh, um, appointment of um, um, uh, the chief of staff, Gambari. You know, so a lot of discussion has been going on around that. His name showed up in one, I think, Guardian report I was reading this, yesterday, all right? His man's grandfather, I heard him give the testimony by himself. I was watching him on um, TV. His father groped after God, and an angel appeared and told him, you are seeking to know the truth. Take a two-day journey towards the south. So he began to walk and travel. And then he encountered missionaries coming up towards the north. And once he saw them, he knew these were the people that I was told to meet. And he greeted them and said, please, an angel said I should talk to you. Just like the story of Cornelius. You know what I found about Cornelius? Peter said something. Having observed Cornelius, he said, anyone who... How did he say it again? Please, let's quickly read it. Acts chapter, um, uh, chapter 10. I like the way he said it. Acts chapter 10. It's such a beautiful way that Peter said it. He said, now I know. Yes. He said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Please, it's so important you understand this. That is, in every nation, there are certain things that God has placed in there for each person to do. If anybody observes that, believe me, they will find Christ Jesus. 
People used to say that, are you saying Jesus is the only way to God? And people say, you know, argumented that, are you those who are not worshipping the way of Jesus Christ? Story, story, story. Let me answer that, okay? Christians, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. There are many ways, indeed, by which people can seek God. Many ways. Many. But there's only one way to find him. Do you hear what I said? You can seek him a thousand and one ways. But what happens is that if your search is sincere, an angel will show up and say, don't waste your time. This is the way. This is the door. This is the door to the Father. This is the door to eternal life. Jesus was not joking. Like I always say, even if everybody was to be believed by the claims they made, show me one other person that made that claim. Nobody else made the claim. What happened was that Cornelius, God saw that he was a true seeker. So he sent an angel to go and tell him, you need to hear the gospel. I hope you're getting my point here. Every true seeker, I listened to the story. I read the story of Buddha. I said, what a pity the man was not alive in the time of Christ or the time of Christianity. But for his own time, I am convinced God visited him. And the religion they now call Buddhism is not the one he started. Nah. There's a principle in the scriptures, you see it. He said, John the Baptist was a shining light, and you rejoice in his light for a season. The man was shining in his own time. His light was supposed to last a brief season. If anybody really had the kind of heart he had, and they were seeking true enlightenment, they would find Jesus. I did not read this anywhere. I just understand the principles of God. He found him in his own time. In his own way. But because Jesus had not come, because the man, he was groping. That's the point I'm making. All God is saying, just grope after me. In sincerity. I will all, no matter where you are. If you are inside Saudi Arabia, in the palace of um, the king of Saudi, you will find him. If you are in the heart of communist China, you will find him. If you are in the bottom of the sea, inside the core of the rocks, you will find him. If you will grope after him with a sincere heart. Let's get back to reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Which verse is we stopping? Hmm? 12. Now if Christ is preached, there has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now that was where I took my tangent from, remember that. And I began to say, don't be carried away that physical things are, are the things that are real. No, spiritual things are real. Lazarus was called back to life. I was trying to explain. These things are real. Just that these are things that are beyond in their principles. The laws operated by, they are beyond the common things of every day. But they are real. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. So you must understand something. Christianity is believing in the resurrection of Christ Jesus and in the resurrection of the dead generally. Moreover, verse 15, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, that is if Christ is not raised, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still, now listen to this. It is not just what you believe, it's what is true. He said, if your faith is worthless, it means you are still in your sins, even though you think you have been delivered. But Christianity is real. Somebody say, Christ is raised. Christ is raised. 
Say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Say, Christ has been raised from the dead. My faith is not worthless. And I'm no longer in my sins. He now said in verse 18, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, <laughs> if Christ is not raised. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we have all men most to be pitied. King James uses the expression most miserable. If our hope concerning Christ is only in this life, then we are to be pitied. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's a matter of fact. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Please, I want to teach what salvation is. Please, notice this expression. By a man came de- death. We'll see what that death means in a moment. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, now please follow this. This is why I read all of this. This is the order. Christ, the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's as is coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. When all kingdoms of this earth will have disappeared. He said, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. He was quoting the Psalms there. But when he said, he says, all things are put in subjection. It is evident that he is accepted, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. That is God the Father is putting all things in subjection to Christ Jesus. So when it says all things, he himself is not one of those things. Now verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, that is Jesus, then the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. That is the message I actually brought today. But because of time, I'll just begin to develop it. We'll explain it further next time. Please notice what God is saying here. I began all of this by trying to explain something. We didn't make ourselves. It's an eternal purpose. The concept of this universe, oh, which is so vast, is so vast. Oh, go and read about how vast the universe is. It's crazy. It's beyond imagination. It's beyond imagination. Our sun is just a star. You understand? And it's one of about 200 billion stars in our galaxy. And our galaxy is one of about 200 billion galaxies in the universe. In the observable universe. We don't know what's behind it. And the closest star to us, it takes light four years to travel between them. Did you hear what I said? It takes light eight minutes to get to the earth from the sun. And I think it's one second to get from the moon to the earth. Yet the next star after our own, it takes four years for our sun's light to get to it. And it's only one out of between 100 and 200 billion in our galaxy. And our galaxy is only one out of over 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The most distant galaxy to ours, it takes the light from it over 13 billion years to get here. Don't worry, don't think about it, your brain may explode. My children and I, the other day, were doing calculations. 
on how long it takes a plane, a regular plane traveling at 800 kilometers an hour to complete one light year. We came to the fact that the plane will fly constantly for, sweetheart, can you remember? The plane will fly for 9.6 million years to cover one light year. <laughs> Somebody said to me, there's no God. I said, don't be stupid. Where have you searched? If I gave you 200 billion years, you can't finish searching our Milky Way galaxy. Don't tell me there's no God. What's wrong with you? you should, I told that those who, say, who make certain statements, they don't know anything. They come and say, go and look for bank in Enugu. We reach there. It's not there. Why? We go to the market. You know, you can't even look for me to go to market. How do you want to do it? Does it make sense? Just say, is there a bank in Enugu? Say, I don't know. Why? Enugu is too big. I went to go to market. After going through three shops, I changed my mind. Say, I'm not looking for banking again. If anybody tells there's no God, tell him, my friend, don't be stupid. Like the person will say, you, ha- you need more faith than I need. It's easier to believe in God than to believe that there's no God. We didn't make ourselves. The maker of all things is God. That name is fitting only for the maker of all things. But that maker of all things has one purpose which is relevant to our discussion. He said, at the end of the day, everything must have been subject to me. So he subjected everything to his son, Jesus. Why he calls him son is a different story. But there is Jesus, who he said everything must be subject to. When he's talking about everything subject to Jesus, you must understand. He was not talking about the planets. They don't have a mind of their own. He was not talking about the galaxies. They don't have a mind of their own. Those things are just manifestations, the physical manifestations of spiritual presence. When he's talking about all things subject to him, he's talking about rulers, authorities, angels, living beings, of all kinds. He said they will be subject to Christ, and then Christ will subject everything to himself. Let me give you a preview of what I'm going to explain. That subjection is not by force. This is what happens. If you are not subject to him willingly, he casts you permanently into outer darkness. That is why hell has to exist. Otherwise, this principle of God will not work. There are people that will be eternal rebels. And eternal rebels will be in eternal darkness. They can't cease to exist because they are living people but they have to be where they are functionally non-existent because everything must be subject to the sun. That's why he said, listen, David saw a preview of it. David said, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And what happens? You perish out of the way. Listen, what am I going to say? If you want to exist in eternity, both in and with God, there is only one way. It's in being subjected to whom? It's in being subject to whom? Christ. There's no other way. Listen, God in his mercies over time has used different methods to bring people in. And listen to me. Why, listen to this very carefully. Why he has taken time, why he endures is because he does not desire that anyone should perish. 
There's a principle about human beings. Every human being is born in rebellion. Now you say, ah, hey, why will God, why, why will God allow that to happen and then punish them? Why he will allow that to happen is this. Being subject to the son is a choice each has to make. I hope you're getting my point. And the punishment is not because they are rebels. It is because he gave them the opportunity to make the free will. And they said, I want to exist without God. And God said, not in my universe. Find your own place. Let me tell you the meaning of darkness. Darkness is not, there's no light. That's a way to explain it to people. The real meaning of darkness is there's no God there. Listen, if I put all the sun in your face and I withdraw the presence of God, you'll feel darker. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Real darkness is when God withdraws his presence. When God withdraws his presence from you, listen, let me explain something to you. You don't understand. So it's easy to just say, hey, so I will live my life. There's no life outside him. There's only confusion and torment. I gave an illustration here the other day. Listen, if you've ever been to America, you know the story of American prisons. The way they, listen, when they want, you see a hardened criminal. When they want to calm him down, it's not changed. They put him in what they call the hole. Go and read about the hole. It's a small room. No windows. Just one door. When they close it, no light enters. They keep you in there for 30 days. You don't know whether it's day or night. That is what American prisoners fear the most. It's worse than solitary confinement. Because in solitary confinement, you have light. In solitary confinement, you can read a book. You just can't interact with people. And solitary confinement can make you go mad. I watched a story, um, uh, uh, Christian Amman Paul was you know, doing a, a documentary once on some people on death row. And one, that boy was there, they put him there as a 17, 18-year-old boy. He said, staying in here, you lose your mind. And he's allowed to talk to people. He's allowed to come out. I mean, he doesn't talk to people daily, I mean, all the time. But at least once a day, you come out, take a stroll. You will see the guard. But you are alone for 23 hours a day. The boy said, here, you will lose your mind. And he's not in darkness. There's light. He has a book to read. They'll give him as many books as he wants. But not being able to interact with people, the boy said, I'm going to lose my mind. Some of them said, why don't you just kill me? What are you, what are you keeping me here doing? The only thing that keeps some of them alive is hope. That maybe the Supreme Court will say no. Maybe the governor will say no. Don't kill this guy. Then they will send him to the general populace and you, you have a life imprisonment. It is known that babies that are not touched, they die. Those are the ones where the medical students, sick babies were nursed, you know, separately. But later on, they found out, no, 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 that's how they will die. Keep them beside their mothers. They found out that when you nurse babies, maybe twins, both of them are premature. Because they are small, you put the two of them in the same incubator, the same distance. They tend to survive just by one baby touching the other baby. We have all heard the story, where many of us should have, of one place in one, um, one orphanage somewhere in Europe on two floors. On one floor, the orphans did very well. On the other floor, they were always falling sick, dying, having problems and all of that. Behavioral problems. And what is the difference? The cleaner on one floor will not do her job. You know what she'll be doing? Carrying the babies. No, 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 don't cry. No, carry the babies. Won't do our work. The other ones were doing their jobs. And leaving the babies without affection. 
A little girl died when I was a resident in Lagos. When she died, when I heard the story, you know why she died? She wanted her mother. The father and the mother quarreled. The mother left, left her with the father. The girl fell sick. They said she had to, they used all kinds of drugs. The girl died. When I heard the treatment, she just kept on saying, I want my mother. I want my mother. You are giving her medicine, she wants her mother. The mother had traveled abroad because she had, look, father and mother, please try not to fight. Just for the, <laughs> just for the sake of the children. The little girl wanted her mother. When they did not give her a mother, she died. I'm trying to tell you how much we need people. When you are separated from people, you suffer. When you are separated from God, it's worse than extinction. Being separate from God is the worst experience of life. What they call eternal darkness is that there is no presence from God there. That's what it means. People are saying that whether there's fire in hell. I say, who's talking about fire? If you know the importance of divine presence, you would rather be inside Nebuchadnezzar's furnace with God than to be in the place where there's no God and everywhere is cool and find everything. You know, many of us don't understand because we have never been without it. You don't know how important people around you are because you have always had them. What just did not have is money, so you think you have problems. I, I, I mean... What you have, you've not had is I don't have money, so you think I have problems. I do. My friends, my mates are buying this and that, that, them, them, them. You will see somebody to complain to, so you don't know what they call problems. Let them put you alone somewhere where you have everything but no living being. They have a saying in Yoruba land. They say when there's nobody in the, in, on the farm, you call the dog, oh boy. <laughs> that, <laughs> when only the dog, ah. Why do you think Oyimbo want to die for dog? They say it's a member of family. When you have been alone, and they give you cats, a living thing. When you see people falling over rats, I love my rat, I love my python. It's not their fault. They don't have God. Unduka <laughs> is laughing. You know he loves pythons. <laughs> the Lord is good. So I'm not explaining the principle here. This is God's plan. This is God's order. That everything has to be subject to Christ. You can come through Buddha, but you have to come into Christ. You can come through Islam, you have to come into Christ. You can come through Hinduism, come into Christ. You can come through um, African traditional religion, but if you are a true seeker, Jesus will not let you waste your time. He will come to you and say, please, have you talked to Peter? You say, no, sir. He says, send to Jopa. To the house of one guy is a tanner of leather. Peter is there with him. Tell him to come. He will give you words by which you will be saved. We'll talk about it. Words are the things you hear that bring salvation. The word of Christ. That's what Christianity is. So you see, God is saying everything will be subject to me. Paul is explaining to us everything must be subject to Christ. And this is Christianity. To have us subject to Christ. Outside Christ, there is death. Outside Christ, there is darkness. Outside Christ, there is that thing I call no God. You know what that means now? I don't mean that God does not exist. I mean, don't worry, I'll tell you to soon find out. They are on the earth saying that you will soon find out the meaning of no God. The presence of God, that one is withdrawn from you. Even though you are the son of God, you will shout, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. In panic. Someone who has never feared anything. Listen. <laughs> So God said, why do I need to do that to you? That's the meaning of perishing. John chapter 3, everybody open to it. 
This is what salvation is. Now, you know the meaning of perishing? He said, for God so loved the world, that this was how God showed his love for the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's, that's all I want to read, just that verse. I'm going to bring that verse into reality for us. I want us to understand now what it means. So when God says, I'm sending my son, that people will not perish. Please, I hope you understand the meaning. It wasn't joking. Perishing, you know, there's one mistake we have made. Those of us who've learned a lot of things about the blessings, material blessings that God has planned for his people, and they are true. But we are so focused on it. Paul said, if that's all we are focused on, then we are, we are miserable. If only in this world we have hope. Do you get my point? Then our faith is worthless. Listen to me. What God is planning has little. Now, I'm not saying nothing. I said little to do with what material blessings you get on the earth. Unfortunately, we are so focused on the material side. My wife and I were talking the other day. She said that now when she tunes TV or listens to any preacher, once you, just, once you start talking, God wants to have money. She just switch off. She's tired. I said, it's not only you. The other day, I saw one man preaching. Very handsome guy, well-dressed, looking, walking up and down like this. By the time he made three statements, I changed the channel. I said, oh boy, I'm tired of the gospel of food and drink. I'm just tired of it. God wants you to live in a realm of abundance. You can have food. You can have tomato, pepper. He didn't say that. I'm the one adding that one to it now. But there was a way it was going. I just switched the channel. I said, please teach me things of eternal life. My faith is worthless if the focus is on material things. What I need is how do I subject myself to Christ so that the eternal purpose of God for my life will be fulfilled. That's what we'll be discussing. Paul said, set your, your mind on the things that are above. Do you know, you know, we quote a lot of the principles of faith from a man like Paul. Paul taught us this, taught us that, how to declare and receive. And I kept on asking myself, why did this Paul not declare and receive plenty money? Why was he declaring and receiving the ability to, ab- to ab- abase? Why? Why was this Paul not declaring and releasing, you know, declaring and walking out through the wall of the jail every time they, they, re- they, they imprison him? It's simple. You know, when I was a little boy, this is what happens. Listen to this. When I was a little boy, because I was a little boy in the house, and one thing about little boys, children generally, is that everything they do is controlled. Apart from water, I think I don't think there's anything you get without control. You want to eat, you are given the food. You are told when to stop eating. That's how you raise children. Children can't just take anything they want anytime. It's not about whether you are rich or poor. That's not the point. The point is that they have to be properly raised. You will tell children what they can watch, what they can't watch on TV. Sometimes they are wondering, like, ah, daddy, you said we should go and sleep, but you, you are not sleeping. But they take it in their minds. They can't say it to my face. You know, I, I'm the daddy. I don't, you know. And if they ever ask, I say, don't worry. Me, I, I have control. You don't have control of the day. And, I mean, I can decide things. All I'm going to say is that, see, children, you raise them, telling them when to sleep, when to wake up, and all of that. So when I was a little boy, I used to say to myself that when I become older, when I, live on, when I stay on my own, I'm going to buy a fridge. Specially dedicated to fried meat and fried fish. (laughs) 
I was so certain. I still remember very well. The, the, the reason was that, you know, when they want to cook, when they are cooking the kitchen, when they fry that meat, before they put it in the stew, you know, it has a different taste. So occasionally, the people cooking, like your mother or the big aunties, they call you, Banky, take. When you eat that one, it's sweeter than every other food they have given you in their house. And I used to wonder, why didn't they just have a, you know, a conveyor belt serving it? <laughs> serving fried meat and fried fish constantly. So no, Hala, we thank God for what we got. We were eating well, but you wanted that fried fish every time. One of my friends said something to me. He said the greatest thing he wanted in his life was to eat abundance of suya. <laughs> now, this is a university student, though. He had been eating suya. He said, but one day, I shall eat suya. <laughs> so he said, when he earned his first salary, or one day he got plenty of money, adult, I think I just got there from school. You know what he did? He went to the suya spot. <laughs> and he told the suya man, give me this amount of suya. So that one caught plenty of suya for him. Gave him the big wrap of suya. He was in Lagos. And he was walking on the road. And it is suya. He said, now... I have all this here that I want. He said, Banky, after a while, I took the wrap into the canal. Now he had enough of it. He realized he did not need that amount of suya. He ate it. He was tired. Look at the big bundle. Wrapped it and just into one canal in Lagos. Same thing happened to me too. You know, as I was growing up, I now realized that life is not fried meat and fried fish. Now, the way it is in the house that when, like my wife would send my daughter, go and give your daddy food. She will arrive. I don't know how many fried meat or fried chicken, everything. A lot of times, I just eat the chicken and return the rest. Why? I'm watching my weight. Why? I don't want to eat too much. Why? The food is too plenty. Now listen, now I can afford the conveyor belt. Do you understand my point? <laughs> but you know what? I don't want it. I have realized that the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. Do you get what I'm trying to say so when you see any Christian, everything in the name of Jesus, I receive money, claim this, just know that he's still a child that does not understand what is important in life yet. That was why Paul was not spending all his energy claiming money. I claim it. I claim it. Once he was claiming, claiming, just, you know, the angels just be clapping for us. You, cl- you don't claim. You don't claim. You don't claim. You know, you're children. You're just claiming. <laughs> They'll be there playing with you. Who claim more? Do you claim more than him? Oh, you clap for yourself. You, claim, you know, the way we play for the children. Those who have seen, they've seen that, like I said earlier, everything material you see, including Pluto and asteroids, they are the physical manifestations of spiritual presence. It is the spiritual presence that matters. Those who have seen, they've learned to focus on that. They've understood that Jesus did not die to come and give me Food. Food is good. They've understood that why he came was that I was heading for a no-God eternity. And where life is, is inside God. Subjection to God. And there is no way into that God place except through Christ Jesus. People of God, that is what salvation is. Salvation is the deliverance from being sent Sent into eternity that like I'm in American, an American prison hole for a million years. Salvation is that no, 
I will be in a place eternally where the presence of God is a light in the place. That's why sun does not need to shine in heaven. What is the sun shining? It's like we come into a place like they say, bring the candle. If you bring the candle, then there's something else we want to do with candle. Not to see. There's too much light around where I'm standing for you to be looking for the candle. Eternity in God's presence, the sun is nonsense, it's useless. It's not necessary. By the way, let me not start my own physics now because I've, I've done spiritual, I do spiritual physics. So. The sun does not produce light. It stores light. Now, that's spirituality. Don't, don't quote that in physics. It's a spiritual thing. What I've given you now. The way small is looking at me. <laughs> no, we say that the sun, the sun with helium and hydrogen is generating energy. It doesn't generate anything. What it does is that God said at the beginning, light be. And there was light. God now started packaging the light into small balls. So when it compressed the light, it gave you sun. So the sun is just releasing the light stored in it bit by bit. So when you get into the presence of light himself, there's no need for sun. I hope you're getting my point here. Listen, this is what Christianity is. Is that you will not end in eternal darkness with no God, but you will abide with God eternity. That is real Christianity. So when they say, for God so loved the world, he saw where they were going. And he said, no, don't let us let them go there. Let's bring them back into us. So son, you will go. That is son, S-O-N now, not son, S-U-N. Go there and gather them. Then when you have gathered them into yourself, you will now subject yourself to me. Everything will now be subjected to God. And everyone who rebels goes into eternal darkness. I said something to you at the, a few minutes ago. Let me just repeat it. Then we end it there. Every person comes into this, house, in this life disobedient. What is disobedience? Let's read it. Then we'll close with it. We'll develop from that point next time. This is what salvation is. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Actually, everything I want to read, um, we'll read from Genesis chapter 1, but because of time, I just want to introduce it to us again. Let me just pick a few verses. It spans from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3. It's a story we all know. In chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then he added a woman to him. So you see in verse um, 23, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now in verse, in chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to her, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, 
and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now for time's sake, I'll just jump to one particular verse. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Let me stop reading here. Because of time, I want to close now. But notice this. This is how life is. What you have written in that Genesis chapter 1 to verse chapter 3, they are true stories. Did it happen literally? Yes. It's been summarized, condensed. So the literalness of it is a bit difficult to, you know, explain. What I'm trying to say is that the whole story took apparently like a few days, but it didn't take a few days in reality. It's been condensed. All right? But what I want to bring out is that there was a garden. There was a first man. There was his wife, the first woman. There was a tree in the garden that they were not supposed to eat of. There were so many other trees they could eat from. And when they ate of that tree, the tree has a name. The name of that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan said, you will not, you will not die. And the woman believed him. She was deceived. She said, when you eat of that tree, you will be like God. Then God said, after they ate of it, man has become what? Like one of us. Satan did not lie. If you're looking at facts, he said, if you eat it, you will be like God. God said, man has become like one of us. That is what they call rebellion. That was one thing that was necessary to happen, and Jesus needed to solve. Why did God let it happen? Because he had a solution. And his solution is better than the original. That is what I'm trying to say is that Adam before the fall is inferior to the man that is found in Christ. The rebellion was necessary for man to understand what is happening. He ate and became like one of the, one of the gods. That is true. What does that signify? It's simple. It's the rejection of God. And God said, if I let you go like this, the kind of darkness you will experience. When he said, the day you eat of it, you will die. If thoughts it is, will collapse and die. He said, no. I know the kind of death you don't understand. Satan told Eve, just this death, it will not happen. But what he did not know is that there's a depth of death man will understand if he ate of that tree. And after they ate it, it's called rebellion. They were saying to God, we will make our own decisions. And God said, therefore, you shall go into eternity without God. That was why Jesus came, to bring them back into the eternity with God. Let's stop it here. I'm watching my time. We need to close and go home. And be home before the curfew starts. Let's bow down our heads and just give a lot of thanks. Let's just give a lot of thanks.